Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the phone, as is often the case uh, at the end of the week, by my producer and colleague, Hemel Javeri. Hemel, how are you? I'm great, Ted. How are you? I am doing well. I'm getting over a little bit of a cold, and maybe it's still evident in my voice, but I'm I'm I feel like I'm past the worst of it now. Yeah, you you sound like you have a little bit of a deeper radio voice right now. It's good, right? Yeah, like it's I could good. be like Yeah. Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I can't believe um, you haven't been doing that every time. I should. I should. Um I won't because that would be that would be weirdly fake. I'm not into that. We're no. we're trying to we're trying to give it to you straight here and the the real news is that I kind of have like a nasally not perfect radio voice. That's because but, you went you No, I don't think that. I don't think you have a not perfect radio voice. You think I have a perfect radio voice? I, I don't know about that. I think, I think you have a good radio voice for sure. Huh. Well, yeah. I that's funny. I think that whenever you hear I'm sure you have this experience too. Like every everyone feels this way whenever you hear your voice recorded it sounds awful to you and oh, yeah. so that's what happens to me it's uh, just like oh I, I sound terrible a hundred percent i don't know why anybody would want to listen to me talk um fair enough i i want to listen i want to listen to you talk good, and good. we got some questions from from the internet Yay. and i want to start with one that i think speaks to you particularly mm-hmm. and it comes from our man charles curtis at by charles curtis on twitter and also available at, at For the Win, frequently on the podcast. He wants to know, when is it absolutely okay to trade a super, super not a superstar, when is it absolutely okay to trade a superstar like Alex Ovechkin in the middle of or near his prime? Wow, that is that is a very good question. It are is, we saying are we saying that he is currently in the middle of or near his prime? How okay, old? well that's that was what I was gonna say is that it's a very good question in a lot of different ways, but the first thing we have to clear up is if he's in the middle of his prime. And I don't think so. I think that he's actually starting to decline. Um, Ovechkin for, I would say about what, this past season he had 33 goals in 82 games, but he's had 50 goals before. Like he's reached that, that mark that NHL players, you know, that elusive 50 goal mark for a season. So I would actually argue that he's not in the middle of his prime. I think that his, it's sad to say this, but maybe his best years are behind him. He's 32 years old. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny that it's funny to see that he is only, I guess he's 31. He's going to turn 32 in September. Okay. But, but it's funny. It feels like he's been around forever, I guess, because he came up so young. Yeah. That, like, you know, I'm, I, it feels like he should be older to me mm-hmm. than 31. When do hockey players, when do you expect for hockey players to start declining? Um, that's, that's such a difficult question because it is per player. Some players peak very, very early and then there's a sharp decline. But generally mid 30s, right? Early 30s to okay. mid 30s, you can have you can have peak performance, but your peak performance is always going to be like mid 20s to late 20s. Yeah, and I would say that's that's generally the same in baseball. It does seem like in baseball the peak has sort of gotten a little bit earlier mm-hmm. recently. It, it was for a long time you expected 27 is going to be the guy's best season. Mm-hmm. Now it kind of feels to me like guys kind of come in, and, and I think there's been there's been data to show this, 
guys kind of come in as fully formed major leaguers mm-hmm. more than they used to in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. And so they don't tend to improve the way they used to. Now they're just kind of great, 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 great until they hit like their early early 30s and then it starts coming down. And then like mid to late 30s, it's really obviously in decline. Yeah, and there are definitely outliers, right? Like, I think Ovechkin at 32 still, well, 31 technically, almost 32, still put together a a very, very good regular season. Not a great postseason, but a very good regular season. And But the guys who kind of peak in their uh, mid-30s, those guys are outliers, right? Like Pecorine Mm -hmm. right now, who is playing for the Nashville Predators, is, like, having an incredible season, and he's 34, um, so goalies are a little bit different, right? Because their bodies don't get that same wear and tear. Uh, mm-hmm. Yager, Yarmo Yager is having an incredible season. He's still playing. Um, and he's like 87 years old. Exactly. He's like basically 90. Uh, he's 44. And I don't mean he's still playing like that in that he's playing in the playoffs. And I mean that he played in the regular season at 44. So, But those guys are outliers. So to get back to Charles's question, um, do that first portion, like, middle and peak of his prime? I don't think so. I think that he's actually probably on on the downward edge. Um, not to say that he doesn't have solid seasons left in him, but I think his peak is past. Um, and this is a really difficult question, and I think I... And Charles wrote a column about this, kind of pegged off of what Barry Melrose said on ESPN, that the time to trade Ovechkin is now not just for... Ovechkin, not just for the the team's sake, but for Ovechkin's sake as well, because he's played with this franchise for 10 years. He's given it everything that he's gotten, and it just isn't enough. And I think it might be time for, like, I think it's time just for a change for for the Capitals and for for Ovi. Huh. Yeah. See, I would say, see, in in from an outsider perspective, I would say if they've still got a good enough team. And it seems like they do. It seems like they make. I know that they're disappointing in the playoffs every year. Like right. I know that that's that that's the issue with the Capitals. But they're right. still a good team, right? Well, yes. So they are a good team. But what is going to happen in this off season is that there's going to be a lot of unrestricted free agents. So that this team is basically going to get di- dismantled. You'll probably okay. lose a couple of top defense defensemen. You'll lose Justin Williams because he's you know he's a little bit older. And while he's great, they're not going to sign him to another long term thing. And they're going to want to save money because they want to keep TJ Oshie. So the team as is right now is probably – it's going to look very different next season. Okay. So yeah. in that case, I guess I, I understand. I definitely understand the case for dealing him. Yeah. I would say like – and again, like I, I really – baseball is my area of expertise. Like I'm thinking of the, the Herschel Walker trade, right, which was mm-hmm. a classic one in football, which while the Cowboys traded away Herschel Walker, who was about the best player in the league at the time – it got them the draft picks they used to build their dynasty mm-hmm. in the in the 90s and yeah. and you know without dealing that guy away they wouldn't have been able to win all those super bowls so that's that's the time it's when i think to me it's it's when you've got this one superlative player and not enough around him to compete and if that's going to be the case for the caps and ovechkin right. i'd say yeah yeah then it probably that's when it is okay obviously in every case like this, and, and this is part of, I think, it's just something that comes up all the time in sports, where we say, like, they should trade him, but we don't say what they should trade him for, right? Like, they, the right. Caps should not trade Alex Ovechkin for some scrub just because it's time to trade Alex Ovechkin. They should trade him for the pieces they need to put together their next 
good team, obviously. Exactly, and that's what's really difficult is that you've got to find something to trade him for because right now he still scores a heck of a lot of goals, which is a huge asset regardless of whatever seems to happen in the postseason, right? Um, So it isn't that there is a goal-scoring machine kind of waiting in the wings that the Capitals want to trade for or pick up. Um, And the other thing is that what happened last year with P.K. Subban, right? So this is a player who is actually in his prime. And Nashville basically traded him, not Nashville, Montreal traded him to Nashville for an older, slower, more expensive player just because they felt like, I mean, the reasons that, official reasons that they're going to give you is that they didn't think that his production was high enough and they needed different leadership in the locker room or whatever. Um, But basically it was that the culture fit wasn't there. Um, So that's a terrible reason to trade a player in his prime. And I think with Ovechkin, they're going to be smart about it. And I don't think he's going to get traded this year. Um, But it would be, I mean, it would be naive to think that management hasn't thought about it. Yeah, I mean, and and going back, just like thinking, trying to think of comps in baseball, mm-hmm. the obvious, the obvious one right now, and it's it's something that does come up every once in a while. Is like, should the Angels trade Mike Trout? Right, right. Mike Trout, best player in baseball. He's going to be the best player in baseball for, you know, barring some sort of catastrophe, he'll be the best player in baseball for easily the next five years, maybe even the next ten years, right. uh, because he's so young. He's signed for several more seasons after this one, mm-hmm. uh, so. Would the Angels could should is it okay for the Angels to trade him and and my take is kind of I don't think it'll happen right mm-hmm. like whether or not it's the right move to get back Trout's level of production you right. really need at least three solid major league players or like a star and another pretty good guy mm-hmm. and I don't know that any team is going like I think that all teams and this is across sports. Uh, whenever you're sort of invested in the long-term development of guys, as as baseball teams are with their prospects, I think team front offices sort of fall in love with their own guys a little bit. Yeah. And they know that guy, and they're not right. really psyched to deal him. And so the type of haul it would take to get back a Mike Trout it is probably prohibitively large, at least at this phase of Trout's career and his contract. I think the the more likely trades are ones, and, and this will be actually interesting. It'll be an interesting offseason, I think, next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at a club like the Baltimore Orioles, now the Orioles are, are having a great season. Uh, they're not a team a lot of people expected to contend, but they, they that's always the case, and they always kind of wind up uh, a pretty good team, so maybe it's not in their best interest to do this, but they've got Manny Machado, mm-hmm. who is one of the great stars in the game, and approaching free agency. He's set to be a pr- free agent after the 2018 season. I don't know that they're going to pony up the the money necessary to to extend him. Uh, it doesn't seem likely. And so if it comes down to okay, we can you know keep him on the team, take our shot at 2018, and then and then figure out a way of replacing him afterwards, or we can trade him before 2018 for a package of young players that we can viably use to to build our next good one. Then I think you know I think you have to think real long and hard about that, and I don't I think it's a pretty justifiable move. If if you feel confident you're not going to bring him back and you're not going to sign him to an extension, right? Then I almost feel like you know when the especially now in baseball you don't even get a first round draft pick when when the free agent walks away. I feel like that makes it uh, it makes it kind of not not just understandable but like pretty uh, a pretty good idea to deal away a guy like that. 
Yeah, it, and it's really difficult because you are rolling the dice, right? If you do deal away the guy that you know is going to give you this much production, even if he's on the decline, for for a gamble on a hand, not even they're not unproven players, but uh, you still don't know what the future holds. So. Right. Yeah. Um, let's go on. Let's uh, we got we got a one from Dennis at D Half Show on Twitter. Uh, we can be quick with this one. Because I've got – at least I've got a pretty straightforward answer. Okay. And I don't have the specific way he worded the question. This came a couple days ago in response to a tweet I made about our colleague Luke who leaves <laughs> boxes of cereal on his desk, which I want to just say, Luke leaves boxes of cereal on his desk wide open. Like he doesn't even crumple up the bag that the cereal is in right. or so close the little – so not only does it get stale, but like to me, I like at least as as far as I've understood, like that is like the number one way to get roaches, uh, right? Like it's like mm. roaches love stuff like that. They love like the uh, supposedly, like I don't know. In 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 my time living in New York City, I've always been told like seal up your cereal because roaches are going to come for that. So that that could possibly be it. I always thought they liked uh, food that was like wet or moist, um, but anything. You, you know me. You know that I am anti-clutter like like that. And the thing is that if I had seen that box of cereal and it had even come close to touching my space, I would have thrown it away, no questions asked. Like I, <laughs> there's no, I just feel I would, there's no way I would let that stand. I feel like it's fairly savage to just leave and like open yeah. wide open boxes of cereal <laughs> on your desk. But Dennis just wanted to know what your favorite. Uh, he asked you specifically. He, he wants me. to know what your favorite be- breakfast cereal is. Yeah, top three. Uh, Special K red berries and cinnamon toast crunch and uh, cornflakes. Super, super standby. Pretty, you know, pretty boring. But uh, cornflakes are, are horrible. Cornflakes are horrible. What? Cornflakes are horrible. That's a horrible cereal. Oh I my think god. That you have bad taste in cereal. Oh my god, Ted. Cornflakes were my mom's favorite cereal. Way I'm sorry. to go. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's sad. But I, I'm sorry to tell you that your mom also had bad taste in cereal. <laughs> I, I I just I don't feel like cornflakes is a defensible stance no. because they're just like they're just I, they just immediately I don't like any flake cereal. I'm not a flake cereal man because they just get too soggy way too quickly. You you eat them very quickly. Cornflakes is first of all breakfast for Indian people is very different than breakfast for American people. So cereal was not a thing that we grew up eating. It was a thing my parents bought because they felt like Americans eat cereal. So I guess we should have cereal in the house. Uh, but that's actually a really bad like I think and, cereal is like one of the great conspiracies in American society, right? Yeah. Because like. The grain lobby convinced people they should be having cereal for breakfast somehow, right. and now we all eat cereal for breakfast. Cereal's terrible for do you. you. Most cereals. Do you actually eat, like, as an adult, do you actually eat cereal for breakfast? I generally eat it late at night when I'm starving and there's nothing else to eat. I do, I but I have, like, but I only have uh, exclusively eat Kashi heart-to-heart cinnamon oh cereal, and it's got, like, protein and fiber, and it's it's delicious, and it's not it's not, like, just completely horrible for you. I think that I, I probably should up my cereal consumption. Well, not up it, but be better about what I eat. Generally, the Special K Red Berries is a cereal that if I'm running a lot, if I'm training for a race or something, I know I'm going to get hungry at like 10.30, and that's when that's the cereal that's cereal hour for me. 
See, for a late night cereal, I would think of it more as a dessert. Mm. And in that case, I do love Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And I'm also, I have long been a big fan of Lucky Charms. Like when I was a kid and I wanted sugary cereal, I wanted Lucky Charms. Even as a kid, I never, I hated Lucky Charms. Like I just never saw the appeal. They're magically delicious. Um, what is I just okay, we gotta we're gonna move on, but yeah. what is because because I know that breakfast is something that is also like at least a, a very Western thing. Like if mm-hmm. you go to China, mm-hmm. what they feed you for breakfast is very similar to what they're feeding you for lunch and dinner. Mm-hmm. And at least that was the same in my experience in a lot of places in Asia. What is breakfast in India? So breakfast in India is generally the like masala chai that that people have, and then you will have. Uh, um, I don't know what that is. You don't know what masala chai is? No, I. You know, like, what? look, I'm not. I'm not. I'm coming from a very meat-oriented world you, that I you, live in. Do you know what chai is? I know there's chai tea. Okay, that's what it is. It's chai tea. So. So you just have tea. No. Well, let me finish, dude. Okay. Um, so part of the the big thing is tea, right? It's the and it's masala chai, which is like a milky, spicy black tea. You have that, mm-hmm. and you usually have that with. Um, it's almost like there's different, lots of different dry snacks that people eat. Sometimes you have it with toast. Sometimes you have it with these very thin um, whole grain, like I, crackers or kind of puff pastry biscuits. That is generally the breakfast that we have in India when we go visit family. So there's very little sugar and it's just whole grains or some light carbs. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, simple. that sounds... That sounds pretty good. I mean, that's the thing is I'm like, and I'm I'm always I'm never sure about it because when I am mm-hmm. like when I was in China, I was like all psyched, like oh my god, noodle soup with pork in it for breakfast. <laughs> like yeah, I'm, I'll get down on that. But ultimately, when I wake up in the morning, I don't want like I don't even really love eggs that much. I know like a lot of people just and like I like an egg sandwich, but I rarely wake up like craving eggs because it's just yeah. it's too much for me in the morning. I, I'm not a breakfast person. The thought of eating early in the morning actually makes me nauseous. Like, I'm a coffee, tea person in the morning, and I'll have a lunch. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like I said, like, I will have cereal if we have cereal. I will have – we make smoothies usually, mm. and like, or I'll have yogurt, but, like, stuff like that. And then, yeah, and then I'm, I'm more into lunch. I'm more into the, the more traditionally meat-oriented meals, which will shock you. I generally don't even like to eat before noon. That is – it's so weird. Um, yeah, that's fairly weird. And I, and from what I understand, like, not the best, right? Like, you're oh. supposed to, like, wake up and eat. No, but... I don't know. I think the, the science on that is conflicting. I, I'm sure you're right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, like, in the best place to be, like, dishing out health advice. So I'll stop right there. Um, but yeah, so that's just a long story short is that your favorite cereal is terrible <laughs> and my favorite cereal is <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, what if this is from, uh, at Reno Wallabout? And this is funny because I was thinking about something similar this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, he wants to know what if our best athletes played soccer? Uh, I guess by our, I assume he means the United States. Um, yeah. You know, do you have an answer for that? Because I got to think about it for a minute. Um, I think that if our best athletes played soccer, like exclusively soccer, mm-hmm. then the U.S. soccer team would be completely dominant, right? They, that and and that's not that. Uh, it's not that you know that the the American athletes are better than Cristiano Ronaldo or mm-hmm. or anyone else. It's that 
we have a whole lot of people, right? Like I think that like versus a lot of the other big time soccer playing countries, save Brazil, we just have like a, a huge population advantage. And so you're drawing on a much larger talent pool. Mm-hmm. And then you think about it like anecdotally, like you put LeBron James in goal, right? The guy's six foot nine and, and has like a huge wingspan and is extremely athletic. Like no one's ever going to score a goal. Like if, if LeBron James played his whole life, spent his whole life, all the time he played basketball, he was playing soccer and he was right. a soccer goalie. No one would ever score a goal. Right, so you're assuming that these skills translate really well, right? So that Tom I'm Brady I'm assuming that can that LeBron James is ball. No, I mean I I would root against Tom Brady in that scenario. <laughs> I would want to see him fall flat on his face. Uh I'm saying LeBron James has like the requisite hand-eye coordination and quick t- quick quick twitch muscle fibers and <laughs> and leaping ability and uh smarts everything necessary to completely dominate as a soccer goalie. I was going to say that, not that I disagree with that assessment at all, but I was just going to say that if our best athletes played soccer, I still don't think soccer would be a more popular sport. I think Uh, that, yes, the U.S. would still be dominant in it, but people would still watch terrible people play football versus great athletes play soccer. Yeah, I mean, we love, we crave blood sport, so that makes sense. (laughs) Um, I was what I, what I was actually thinking was in the context. Have you ever watched European handball? You ever see like handball like they have in the Olympics? Barely. But I don't know ask. It is. Don't ask me how. But like this morning, <laughs> I fell down a YouTube rabbit hole of like handball highlights, and like and those guys are incredibly good at handball, and they're obviously incredible athletes. But all I could think was like, what if you had like Noah Syndergaard playing this sport? Who was like not only taller than everybody, so because that's a big advantage, because then you can, uh, you're like they're the defense, so the way the defense works, like you, you kind of that height gives you, but but he can throw the ball 100 miles an hour, right? No one's gonna, no one's gonna stop that. Like if we wanted to, if the United States was like, okay, like drop everything, we're prioritizing handball. I think that <laughs> we could trot out like the most dominant and i don't even think it would take us that long like i don't even think like in the lebron james playing soccer scenario i want him growing up playing soccer constantly i feel like i could do it right now like if i if someone was like you're in charge you can take anybody from any sport and put together a handball team i feel like we're winning gold in the 2020 olympics right handball um i think other sports are badminton ping pong whatever those sports i think we could go in pretty much spur of the moment and dominate Right? Can you imagine, yeah. like, LeBron's wingspan? Like, how what that would do in badminton? Like, no one's getting no. a shuttlecock past LeBron James. <laughs> um, I, I will say, though, like, again, uh, going back to my month in China, that in China they're just preparing their children to play badminton way more frequently and better than we are. Like, everybody's playing badminton all the time, and they're dope at it Wait, because so, that's, that's the sport. So you guys, were you traveling in China for a month? or I, I was I was doing a, a six credits towards my grad school program. Oh, nice. So, all right. Uh, yeah. Um, also tons of ping pong. Like, in every shopping mall there's, yeah. like, an area – where and there ever there's tons of shopping malls and in every in every shopping mall there's like a ping pong training area where kids are getting ping pong lessons. In India, everybody is really up uh, on field hockey, men's field hockey. So when I would go there and tell people that like, oh, I cover hockey in America, they would always be impressed because they thought it was men's field hockey. And then when oh, I told nice. them it's ice hockey, they're like, what the hell is that? <laughs> 
Um, that yeah, that's it's a that's very... not. Well, that was the same. That was basically baseball in China. They didn't know. Well, when I was in China, it was right around the time Yao Ming was happening in the mm-hmm. U.S. And so basketball was huge. But there were again, there was like no. As far as I know. There was no, like, youth basketball culture. So at that time, and I don't know if this is still the case, but it was like if you're going to be a basketball player in China, it was like you were pulled out of school in fourth grade and sent to, like, basketball training academy. And those people were really good at basketball. That's how you get, you know, some Chinese basketball players in the NBA. But I played, like, pickup basketball against some college kids at the school where we were staying, and I have never – it is, like – I, I, I'm like again because like I grew up my whole life playing basketball and these kids had obviously been fairly new to basketball and not growing up in like a very basketball heavy culture like mm-hmm. I did and it was like I was Allen Iverson it was the, <laughs> the best day it was like literally the best you, day of my life you, I was like you I, played against a bunch of Chinese kids that had barely never seen a basketball dude no they played a lot of basketball like at this point they played a lot of basketball and like they had good shots and like there were there were fundamental aspects of their game that were good and they were fine athletes. Whatever. It was just like the I think that like the nuances certain nuances of basketball that come with experience I just had on them. So like a crossover dribble was which and I am a horrible I've mentioned this on the show, I'm a horrible right. basketball player. But I was just I I've never felt like that before or again in my life where it was like I'm I'm the best player on the court right now. Because that is you never dominated ever been the case. a bunch of Chinese kids. They weren't kids. I, they were like three years younger than me. I mean, it, it wasn't like they were, you know, it wasn't like I was like it was. They were like nine year olds. They were like twenty one year old guys. Um, yeah. No. Right. It, okay. So that's if our best athletes played soccer, yeah, we'd win because we'd have LeBron. We um. All right, we got a couple more. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's from at at Woodway seventy seven Navy Chief ninety nine. It's a baseball question. He says every year he hears about AL teams being disadvantaged in National League parks terms of interleague play why is there no dh in both leagues mm. that one's funny to me because i feel like i always hear about national league teams being disadvantaged in in american league parks because american league teams might carry a guy who only plays dh national league doesn't have the advantage of that so you're bringing in a guy who most likely has some defensive flexibility and because that's who you keep on your bench if you're in the national league and you're making him uh you're trying to use him as a pure hitter. So you never have a David Ortiz guy to be to counter David Ortiz when you're a National League team. Uh I am one of the very few ba- baseball fans who feels this way. I really like that there's a DH in the American League and no DH in the National League. I think it's like a fun little quirk uh and I kind of I like both versions of the game like I like the strategy that having the pitcher in the lineup brings I enjoy double switches I think they're cool I do think a lot of guys overmanage and I know we all hate our managers but uh I I don't know and I like I like the offense that comes with the American League game and having that extra hitter in the in the lineup and I also like the nuance and subtleties that come with this the strategy in the National League game I like it like that I get that there are disadvantages but I don't feel like they're so strong one way or the other that they can't be compensated for. Maybe maybe it would be better if you could say, okay, like you're allowed, your know, National League team is allowed like one free uh, optionless roster move before every series in an AL park just so they can call up some masher guy from AAA to be the DH for three days. But uh, otherwise, I kind of just like it. It's interesting to me. I don't really have an opinion on that question, but it's interesting to me that baseball has such huge 
variations for the same sport just based on league why why is that um it's because the national league and american league weren't officially the same operation until like 2000 um they were they were like originally major league baseball just represented like a partnership between Mm -hmm. the two leagues and like over time they mostly became the same league you know and 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 officially in 2000 they became it became major league baseball and you didn't have nl lumps and al lumps anymore and stuff like that right uh but but that's i think that's why and i think baseball is so sort of stuck in its traditions Mm -hmm. that national league baseball fans like the the type could you imagine the takes that would come out if so if the National League and, and MLB was just like okay DH in both leagues now right I think that there would be so many stodgy old baseball fans who would be so mad about that yeah that you'd hear about that pretty much for eternity until everybody died um, right and there would there would be pitchers who'd be mad about it too right because right? a lot of pitchers like hitting like there would be I, I think that the players union would be so overwhelmingly for it Mm-hmm. But I do think that there would be pitchers who'd be like, "Well, what the hell? I want to, I want to hit. It's fun." Mm-hmm. It no, is super fun. I agree with you. I think it's that's crazy though, and I didn't realize that's very interesting about the MLB. I did not know that. I think for the hockey equivalent, mm, it it would be like one one conference, like the Western Conference, saying, "Okay, you can pull your goalie with if you're down and you have two minutes left to play." But the Eastern Conference is like, "No, we never pull a goalie." You know that it's just like right. crazy disparity. Yeah, it's a big it's a big difference considering obviously that it's the same sport and the same league. <laughs> uh, last one yes. comes from uh, at Joe Bocci at B A C C I. Uh, he wants to know when will Elon Musk bring his driverless technology to NASCAR and will it win? Wow. Do you have I don't I don't know yes. I don't know. I I don't think it's ever real. I mean, obviously, I think yes. Joe is sort of kidding. Well, you know, I I think that it sounds far fetched, but I think that we're probably not too far away from seeing the first driver driverless car in NASCAR, even if it's just like an exhibition. Yeah. Um, and because obviously everybody would lose their mind if that car actually raced. But I think that it's going to happen at some point. And I think that it might not be in NASCAR, but there'll just be an entire new league of cars that race automatically with without drivers. Um, and that's like a new sport that we're looking at. I think it's going to happen. I, I and would watch it's going to happen wa- in 10 years. I would watch robot ra- racing. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and, and then really then it's just a challenge of like who builds the best robot car. Yeah. Whoever can navigate whatever track and uh, and it'll just be driverless NASCAR. But is there really is fast. it like a is it like a remote control car? Like is no, someone? It's not okay. remote control. It's like so the driverless cars are basically what the Google is trying to put on the road now, right? And Elon Musk, um, all you know, using GPS and AI. So it's going to be an AI car that is going to make these decisions on the fly without humans controlling it. So the, the the challenge is to create the AI. I feel yeah. like the challenge is I, to like create that perfect AI that knows what to do. I feel, and this is like a a gut thing, and maybe this is like maybe I'm biased towards humanity somehow, mm-hmm. which does it goes against really everything I believe. But 
uh, I feel like a human would beat a, a robot right now, a self-driving car in a NASCAR race, because I like feel like humans have that inherent stupidity that would make them drive faster than the self-driving car, which would be like, whoa, 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 I'm not trying to crash here. Yeah, well, right and, now, yes, because AI is not, or, you know, it's not advanced enough. Okay, but you think that in the future oh, yeah. the cars are going to be, oh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. In the future, we are not even, like, trust me, I, NASCAR in the future I think is going to look so different, and it's practically, people are going to think that it's barbaric that we used to let humans drive those cars, and, uh, you know, they would crash and they would die, and now we're just going to have AI do it. Uh, do you think we'll get robot football, too? Um, I mean, maybe. That's a little bit... Have you seen some of those, uh, I think it's like a Boston robotics lab that is building robots that can, like, run? I think that it's coming. Robots are generally terrible at stuff. Like, people people are all, you sort of, like, hear about robots. Like, I, I'm thinking about there's a robot that, that could flip pancakes, and the robot was horrible at flipping pancakes. <laughs> okay, well, you've got to start somewhere, okay? They're not going to be I know. great right away. Um, I know. And I think it's gonna, it's weird because... I don't think it's going to be as much fun. We're we're going to be the old sports guys that are going to complain about how it's not fun to watch robots do stuff. Like we're going to be the old curmudgeons. I hope I'm never that guy. I want to watch <laughs> robots do stuff, right? Like uh, you can hold me to this. Yeah. If we're still talking on every Friday, like 30 years from now, <laughs> when it's robot from. leagues, I and I and I'm like, oh, I used to like it when when men played the when games. Just the call game. me back. Call me on that. I like robots. I want to see robots do stuff. I, right, I like robot, yeah, I think AI racing is gonna be awesome. I'm super into that. Okay. Yeah. Um, Follow up question, and we're gonna we're gonna check out. Okay. But last last question, and this is another hypothetical, it's just based on Joe's question. Do you think that a child born today will ever learn to drive a car? Do I think that a child born today? Yes. You do. Yes, I think a child born ten years from now probably not. So you think that people are still driving cars 17 years from now? I think that, yeah, I think I definitely think people are still learning to drive. Just kind of like, you know how you still learn penmanship? You may not use it a lot, but it's a skill that they teach you. I think that's what driving is going to be. It's going to be one of those skills that you know how to write in cursive, but you just never do. Okay, I buy that. Yeah. I, like that that's how it seems. Like I would, I would almost equate it to like driving stick. Where yeah. it's like you can learn because maybe you're going to need to do it, right? Because some of the cars that are on the road today are still going to be viable mm -hmm. in 17 years. Mm -hmm. So maybe you learn because it's something you might want to do. But I'm going to say it's not something you're going to need to do 17 years from now. A hundred percent agree. And I think it's going to be – it's an interesting plot point in dystopia. I think it will be so funny in movies where – you'll have the scene where nobody knows how to drive an actual car, <laughs> even though that's, you know what I mean? Like, there's no AI that can actually drive the car for you. Um, but it's going to be one of those weird skills that we know how to do, but I don't think, like, if you had kids now, I think that their kids will not know how to drive. And what we're rooting for then is, like, 25 years from now for the Mad Max scenario. Yeah. Where like I'm still I still have all the the requisite capacity to drive well because I'm an excellent driver obviously, excellent driver. Um, and and so <laughs> and then I can just like totally drive circles around like the kids these days exactly. who never really who never pulled off like a two point turn while running away from their friends because like what we did in high school was just drive around the suburbs <laughs> because there was nothing else to do. 
Right. All right. You can check out the For the Win podcast on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on iTunes. Please rate us and review us. Uh, Hemel is writing at ftw.usatoday.com, as am I. Uh, Hemel, thank you, as always, for joining today. Thanks for having me, Ted. Peace out.